You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinson's.org.uk. Welcome to the second series of the podcast Movers and Shakers, the podcast by and for people with Parkinson's recorded right here in this pub in Notting Hill, where we regularly meet to chew the fat and have a grumble about our predicaments, but above all, to enjoy each other's company. Let's see who's here, first and foremost. I'm Nicholas Mostyn. Gillian Lacey-Solomar. I'm Jeremy Paxman. Mark Mardell. Paul Mayhew-Archer. And I'm Rory Kathleen-Jones. The subject of this episode is sleep. I've just worked out that we spend approximately a third of our lives asleep. If you're lucky. You're very late working then. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we have a very interesting guest today, but before I introduce her, I think we should each give a little spiel about our sleep disorders, if we have them, and have a chat about them, and then we will introduce our guest who will be able to analyse our problems. Now, my sleep disorders are, first and foremost, nightmares. My nightmares are almost invariably violent, they're often acted out. I have about two a week. The uh, nightmare I had the night before last involved me standing in the middle of the bedroom, waving my finger in the air, shouting, I am allowed to heckle. <laughs> yes. Hmm. I thought there was something about there. Your, your, your character. Do you <laughs> there has been an isolated incident of actually leaving the building stark naked when in South Wales. And you're I'm still allowed to pass judgment on other people in South Wales, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, it's not totally uncommon in that part of the world. Otherwise, it has involves me standing up, throwing items at imagined assailants, or attacking my poor wife. No, you really do that, I think. <laughs> I, I usually wake up three or four times each night. I rarely sleep later than five o'clock in the morning, and I suffer from sudden waves of fatigue during the day, each and every day. So that is my sleeping tale. So what about you? How's your sleep, Julian? Terrible, but not violent. Well, when I was first diagnosed, it was even worse. I probably was up for about three, four hours every night in the middle of the night and uh, used to go around in that very pretentious way, going, Macbeth this murder sleep, Macbeth this murder sleep. Because uh, it felt so incredibly lonely when everyone, you know, the house is completely still and you feel that somehow you're being punished for something. Whereas during the day, it's, you know, it's much easier to have Parkinson's at night when the pain comes. And there's no one there to help. It's really grim. A good night for me would be waking up once, I suppose. No, and every tenth night or so, I sleep right through. So that is brilliant when it's like that. What about you, Jeremy? Oh, well, I'm very lucky. I have always had very bad sleep <laughs> and used to take sleeping pills. But since I've had Parkinson's, I sleep like a baby. <laughs> this may be really? because I'm given, I'm given sleeping pills by the doctor. Metazapan, I think they're called. The old joke, of course, is sleeping like a baby means waking every hour mm. and crying. Well, like, <laughs> like the waves of tiredness that overtake me when I ever hear the judge open his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you could market the judge. You get a free hit, Jeremy, don't worry. Yeah. Um, what about you, Mark? Well, when I first joined this group, I thought, well, thank goodness at least I don't have any of these sleep problems that everybody has. And now I do. <laughs> I normally at this time would be taking a nap, but um, here, so I'm st yeah. wide awake. 
Um, so that helps. I, I, I manage reasonably well, but I'm if I the, if I go to bed very late, like two or three, I often sleep through. But otherwise, I fall asleep reading, crash out for two hours, wake up, and I go on my laptop, which is probably a bad idea for a couple of hours, just trolling around reading stuff. And then I go back to sleep. So I try and be worth not productive, do something. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. What about you, Paul? Well, I find that for some reason I decide that two o'clock in the morning is a perfect time to do Sudoku. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, and I spend an hour and a half doing it, and then I finally get off to sleep about 3.30. And then I find, well, obviously, that I nod off during the day, sometimes in the middle of a meal. I mean, literally, in the middle of my meal, (laughs) my head sort of plonks down in the food. And so my sleep patterns are completely bonkers, and I don't understand them at all. But I don't get the nightmares, and I don't get... I don't think I, I stand in the middle of the bedroom sort of shouting and screaming. And you, Rory? Mine is pretty terrible, and I, I've tried to do something about it. So I've never had any trouble falling asleep, usually actually in the theatre, in front of the television, sometimes embarrassingly in the middle of a dinner party. But actually, sleeping through the night has become more and more impossible. So it's that awful thing where you wake up and you think... God, it must be at least five or six in the morning and it turns out to be half past one and you groan. Then you wake up again and again and again and finally give up and get up. I did something about it last year. I tried this app called Sleepio, which is cognitive behavioural therapy in an app. And it did teach me some good lessons, which is, first of all, have a restricted sleep window. Don't try to go to bed too early. And my sleep window was 11 till 5. And the idea was that when you went to bed, you turn the lights off immediately, no, no reading, no looking at television. Just If you want to do read before bedtime, do it in another room and teach yourself... So that bed is for sleeping. Be- exactly. And that kind of worked... But then I kind of got out of the habit and started reading and, you know, now it's all to pot again, I'm afraid. Well, that's all very interesting. I mean, there are no particular common theme. I'm going to introduce our guest now, Dr. Ivana Rosenweig. Hello. Pleasure. Thank so, you for inviting me. Well, thank you for being here. You Can are... I just ask you, are you another of the, the judges' team of top consultants, the cream of the medical profession, working for him almost solo? <laughs> I'm not sure if I can label myself as such, but I'm doing my best to try to be there for patients. You are. That's why the NHS is in such a dreadful state. You've nicked all the (laughs) (laughs) doctors. You are a a sleep physician, the clinical reader in the neuroscience of sleep, and a consultant neuropsychiatrist, the research lead of the Sleep Disorders Centre at Guy's Hospital. That's correct. Do you think that there is enough study of sleep? No, and I think just listening to you, even that um, the idea is that there is a common theme. But it sounds to me that all of you have fragmented sleep. And sleep is really the time when our brains and bodies, but in particular brains, repair. And for Parkinson, for other neurological, especially neurodegenerative diseases, it's crucial. So definitely there has to be more move towards how we can utilize, use that sleep as a part of the therapy for Parkinson and other illnesses. And why does Parkinson's kill off sleep? Why do we have such terrible nights? It's, it's a really marvellous question, and I don't think I can give you an authoritative answer. But we've shown that very early on, probably whilst, say, motor symptoms are not present yet, it seems that the process that leads to Parkinson actually affects sleep centres in the brain. So sometimes decades before one actually is diagnosed with Parkinson, one can have issues with sleep. 
And this is really where I see the patients in my clinic. And this is what, from the research point of view, we try to catch that window because that's the window of opportunity to intervene before really it moves into the brain. But equally, to help actually the patients who have all those issues use the brain's ability to repair. Right. So bad sleep can actually almost worsen your Parkinson's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we do a bit of jargon busting because this comes up when we're considering sleep. What is parasomnia and what is apnea? So parasomnia, I think, is is a a sort of strange mixture of Greek and Latin. Para is alongside of ancient Greek. Somnus is Latin for sleep. So it's the types of unusual behaviors around the sleep or just about as we are waking up or falling asleep. And what is apnea? Because that word corrupts up a lot when talking about sleep. Sure. So we use that again. It's, it's from ancient Greek. Uh, is when someone is stopping breathing, so absence of breathing. But really, when we are referring clinically, it's when the floppy tube at the back of, of one's neck is collapsing, or either fully or partially, which leads then to this report by patient or patient's partners that they're stopping and starting breathing during the night. Right. Hmm. Isn't lack of breathing death? <laughs> I think it's temporary lack of breathing. Temporary lack. What do you mean by temporary lack? How long does this go on for, though? Luckily, we have those inbuilt mechanisms that recognize when there is a drop in oxygen or rise in carbon dioxide. So your brain wakes up partially and then opens up that tube. So you wouldn't actually even remember that's happened. But in severe cases of, let's say, obstructive sleep apnea, it can happen up to 100 times an hour. So you can imagine every time it's like being in the war zone. Oh, my God. God. Now, doctor, you did various tests on me, and I'm pleased to recall that the tests for cognition and personality were normal. Absolutely. Yeah, they were, they were normal. I, I, I demand, I demand an appeal. <laughs> Your appeal. Yeah. They were normal. <laughs> but I got abnormal results for anxiety, apparently, and OCD traits. No, not. not so surprising. Not so surprising. Are these the products of Parkinson's and the cause of my uh, sleep disorders, do you think? So I won't say jury is still out. It's clearly not the term I should use now. But uh, <laughs> there is a lot to suggest that the same systems in the brain that deal with anxiety, that deal with obsessive compulsive disorder, are the ones that get affected by Parkinson's. So many patients, even those that didn't have those traits before, may develop it during Parkinson. But there is also possibility that due to the medication for Parkinson, that can also develop. It's not clear to me whether it's the condition or the treatment, which is the major contributor to the nightmares that I'm having. I mean, the nightmares that I'm I'm having started seven years ago and I was only diagnosed three years ago. So it's reasonable to suppose that it's more likely to be referable to the condition than to the treatment. But can the treatment have these side effects and affect sleep? So nightmares that you beautifully described are actually something called REM behavior disorder. So that particular parasomnia happens during the dreaming part of the sleep. It can also happen in some patients with Parkinson during the other stage of the sleep, non-REM. So then you get this combination of people sleepwalking or fighting in their sleep. And we currently believe that that's just the sign that the process of Parkinson alike is already affecting sleep centers. Mm. So it's not unusual to have those symptoms, or as you call them, many patients call them nightmares, develop almost a decade or even earlier than they, they are diagnosed. I have a barrier at the side of the bed 
to stop me because I had I had actually leapt out of the bed at one one night. Is that normal? So so what you describe is probably what Sir Mostyn actually described. So it, it depends whether partners complain, but many patients and in particular women don't come to us unfortunately because it's not noticed or they don't have too violent dreams. So most likely what happened to you was episode like REM behavior disorder. And I've had something which I think is called restless leg syndrome, believe sure. it or not. Where I have whole nights where I just cannot get comfortable. I'm revolving and revolving because I'm concerned about disturbing my wife. I, I just then give up and get up. Is that common? Again, we still don't know for sure, but there are lots of studies that link. So restless leg syndrome during the night presents in something called periodic limb disorder. And we do very often see that in Parkinson patients. They share, actually we use even the same medications for, for periodic limb disorder. It can happen in people who are never going to develop Parkinson, but it's, if it happens in patients with Parkinson, it tends to be quite prominent. Treatment for these disorders. Sure. Um, Sleeping pills. Is it just, <laughs> yeah, well, well, Jeremy seems to have the answer. Tell Should us about all... melatonin. Is this a, an effective treatment? I really try to put all of my patients on melatonin. This is not to say that I think everyone has to take it, but at this point in time, I think whatever is out there that can modify the process in the brain is useful. And there are some case reports that show that melatonin can protect brain cells in patients with Parkinson. So it is useful and it's used for this REM behavior disorder. So in some patients, it helps decrease frequency of the episodes. In case of restless leg syndrome, it's useful to check one's iron levels or then potentially in patients with Parkinson use the Parkinson medications. I've tried, uh, I was on melatonin, my doctor put me on melatonin for a while and I have to say it made no difference whatsoever. What about the actual strategies? I mean, as I say, when I wake up, I stay in bed, check out my laptop, see who's awake from this group or their WhatsApp group, which is quite a comfort you find people are there quite early on. But uh, Rory's advisor, apparently, or his app said, you know, get up, don't try and do that. What do you think? So I think we're a little bit discussed, and then uh, you rightfully said, you know, there are various things that function for various people. So the way I'd like people to think about sleep, it's a bit like going for a really important presentation by a um, very famous orchestra. So what you need, you ne need really musicians, you need a good conductor, you need good space. And for sleep, what that means is just as a biological beings, we sleep better if it's during a particular period during the night. The buildup of the pressure of being awake for long enough is there, but also that your biological clock via melatonin, and that's why in patients we sometimes use melatonin, sort of helps to anchor you. And then during that, you really get the best of all performance, of all musicians. They really do their best. You don't have a, you know, a second best doing the first violin because sleep really needs to do all these functions of detoxifying brain repairing connections within brain cells making sure that your body metabolism and hormones are all in order if you can it would be nice and and, and really needed that you try to regulate it the way you've mentioned okay. so that's this kind of app these cognitive behavioral apps they're now being prescribed on the NHS. Is, is it something that you advise or are you slightly dubious about it? 
No, I'm not dubious at all. It, it sort of helps patients and doctors and all of us think of the things that are logical, but we forget about them. And that is this, you know, if you can try not to have a caffeinated drinks after 3 p.m., try not to do exercise after 3, try not to use your bed for other things but sleeping and something else. Just try to relax before you go to sleep and try to keep sleep-wake times regular if possible. Sorry, did you say you should or you shouldn't do some, something else? <laughs> I'd rather not go with that, yes. <laughs> you should, you should, you should, you should. You should. <laughs> People have talked about power naps. Margaret Thatcher used to have them and Winston Churchill. How much sleep should we get? So ideally, you, you would want to have at least six, seven hours per night. But sometimes some patients, and I would say sometimes in Parkinson, I do say that power naps can be useful. But when we say power naps, we think 20 minutes, really not longer than that, because otherwise you, you actually will have a detrimental effects. You know, ideally not after 3 p.m., because then you are messing with biological clock. When we were talking before we started recording this, you used a very good metaphor to describe the brain as a naughty toddler. Could you explain what you mean when you just <laughs> compare I a human brain to your She is your doctor. <laughs> yeah, Not my brain. She's talking about brains generally. Right. I am, indeed. And I'm quite well. We'll find out. <laughs> The only thing I meant by that is that, that toddlers, as you say, very quickly forgets the rules if, if not put in order. So the moment, you know, we start playing on our iPads or read things or um, look at our mobiles, it's very easy to sleep from this good sleep hygiene. And I'm afraid to say the older we get, the more important that is. I mean, you say it's important to have a certain amount of sleep. I mean, is it bad to say have... Four hours, couple of hours awake, then four hours sleep. So that's a very, very good question. And there are still different schools of thoughts. You know, historically, people didn't really sleep in one prolonged period of time. But I think the, we, we do develop, you know, as, as a biological beings. And it's been shown that probably at this point of evolution, the chunk of sleep, ideally of six plus hours, is what we need. But again, people are different, are genetically different, and there are some people that need less sleep and they get better, good quality sleep, even if they sleep four or five hours. Not many of us are like that. Many of us fool ourselves that we are, but there are such people. See, I mean, I find it much worse if you're sort of lying there thinking, I must get to sleep, must get to sleep. And I don't ever have that these days because I don't usually have anything to do. <laughs> but I mean, when you had a big job the next day and you think, I must be rested for this, I must be rested, and you get more and more worked up. Whereas if you just get up and do something. Absolutely. No, no, you are spot on regarding that. So, so there is even uh, the type of the talking therapy which teaches that you should actually try to say, oh, I don't want to sleep now, I don't want to sleep now, because otherwise you get this anxiety that you're in bed, you can't sleep, and then brain remembers that and uses that software, and then you get more and more anxious about falling asleep. So you should get out if you really can't fall asleep, do something which is not too stimulating until you are tired right. again. Does exercise help sleep? Absolutely, absolutely. But you said we shouldn't, not after three. Again, there is a rule book and that's life. But ideally, if you could, you would try to do it earlier in the day. 
And how so, about a nice Mediterranean siesta? I'd rather like it, the idea of it. But again, if you can, 20 minutes power nap. Remember people in Spain or Portugal, I don't know these days whether they still do it, but they used to be awake up until one or two. So they really needed that period. Mm. Right. Would we be better off sleeping on our own? Do, do, do I need to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> She's taking the Fifth Amendment on that one. What about diet? Well, well uh, our partners might, might what about think diet? we would. So, so there is a lot of link, and I'm sure I'm not the first one to talk about Parkinson and guts and the microbiota. There is a huge body of evidence, and it's ever so growing that it's hugely important, to the point that now we think that some of the first changes when you don't sleep well might be starting in your guts. Right. And, and what does that mean in terms of what I should eat? I've already been told off for having bacon and eggs too close to my pills. Are there rules for eating well to sleep well? So lots of research, actually, Professor Chowdhury had, um, and, and I'm lucky that I have these colleagues at King's College London and at King's Health Partners, have shown that there are good prebiotics and probiotics. So there, there's been research shown that if you like kefir, if you le- uh, eat sauerkraut, if you eat naturally fermented vegetables, that all seems to be helping. Oh, I and hate I think oh, what oh, about kimchi, kefir? <laughs> but there are pro- <laughs> you know, I, I love eating chocolate, and I, I and I don't sleep very well. And what difference does it really make? How much longer have we got? If we really obey all the rules and we don't eat anything nice after three o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon and we just behave ourselves and we don't eat chocolate and we don't excite ourselves. How much longer do we get as a reward? For <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of that joke about, you know, doing exercise and then spending extra five years just in, in a sweaty gym of those exercises. So I wouldn't want to make a parallel to it. But I think there are many rewards. The rewards are also in the way you feel about life, the way you get the color back into the life. That's all what sleep does. Um, sleep regulates the way you emotionally react, the way you, you really perceive world around yourself. So if you cut on it, if you fragment it, you start feeling anhedonia, this sort of lack of enjoyment of life. That's why I would say it's not exactly fully like exercise joke. <laughs> I recently stopped sitting as a judge, and um, I already feel that the stress easing off. Can I Good. expect to get a dividend on sleeping better, do you think? Absolutely. Anxiety, hyperarousal through various things during our wakefulness do affect sleep. It's more difficult for brain to go into the gear to get to the good enough deep sleep. So it should help. Well, that's very reassuring. But for those of us who, who, who want to carry on at least doing some stimulating work, I mean... There's a, there's a bargain there, isn't there? There is a bargain to be made, isn't there? Yeah. It, for those who carry, want to carry on working in, in a fairly stressful environment but find that they're afflicted by bad sleep and with parasomnia, you know, how can you strike the fair balance? So there is a research actually that suggests that if we can take um, some guidebook from animal experiments, um, they've shown that exercise and so-called enriched environment help your brain utilize self-repair mechanisms. Now, enriched environment for many of us actually means continuing to work. Right. Now, it, it's Keep important that... Them. No, no went, not they, at they, all. Don't worry, they won't take me back. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, that, that can be hopefully done in less stressful environment or you can find a balance of choosing things that you really enjoy and maybe working on 
trying to extricate yourself from negative aspects of it. Yes, when I when I was um, working as a judge, I was uh, so fearful of falling asleep while I was sitting on the bench that I had to take modafinil, which uh, that, that had a terrible knock-on. Which is, 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 is that a hallucinatory joke? No, it's not. It's a, it's a drug that keeps you awake. Because otherwise we'd have so a great keeps story. Awake, which then means you can't go to sleep, so you end up in a terrible vicious circle. I know that you have views about this, don't you? Sure. So, so modafinil is good for certain disorders. We use it in narcolepsy, and it is used sometimes in situations, as you described, when people are too tired during the day. But ideally, I think there are other ways to um, normalize sleep. So, as you say, you always pay the price. It's a Band-Aid. It doesn't really help with the very cause of the problem of yeah. the sleep. The main thing that really strikes me is if we look around the table, the one person that seems not to have any sleep problems is Jeremy. Should we all learn Is from Jeremy? Now? <laughs> <laughs> I am asleep. I, it's only the judge always has an effect. <laughs> but yes. yours, can you sleep better now since you stopped working, since you stopped news diet? I do. Yes. Right. I sleep much, much better. And that's a stress thing, do you think? I think it is a stress thing, partly. But I think also it's... It's to do with going to bed as an event. I, th I, I think going to bed is an event. I used to think it was an event when I was going to bed with somebody. But nowadays, I think just going to bed is, is sufficient. And I think parasomnia, it's like Lord Wreath and television. No good can come of it. <laughs> <laughs> the word is half Greek and half Latin. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are must be thousands of Parkinson's sufferers with sleep disorders all around the country. How many sleep centres are there? Just the one? Well, there are quite a few sleep centres, but they're mainly respiratory sleep. Yes. Not many People that work with non-respiratory, and we need more, for sure. So if you could give us one great tip for sleeping better, what would it be? Try to enjoy your life during being awake as much as you can. Oh, it's a mud. That's, that's very, a, very but, good advice. And that's why Jeremy sleeps so well. Yeah, yeah. Sure, that's it. Apart from the purgatory of listening to you, blokes. <laughs> <laughs> Not blokes, excuse me. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Kathleen Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey Solomar, Mark Mardell. Paul Mayhew Archer, Nicholas Mostyn and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lukat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter at MoversAnd6, that's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. <laughs>